0: This afternoon, through these powerful songs that you've been hearing sung, and through the scripture and through the sacraments, the Lord's table that we're going to be taking at the end, the goal of it all is that God would touch our souls, and in particular, that He would break our hearts. That's what Good Friday is for as the prelude to Easter Sunday. And it just happens that it's on our knees where. We most need to be as Christians in this country now more than ever. For if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land through the power of the resurrection. But it starts with the cross, with brokenness. And there's nothing that will send you to your knees more quickly than to see him hanging on the tree for your depravity. That's why the song that you just heard is a prayer, really. It's a prayer that God would open our eyes in a way that would bring us to our knees. It actually turns into a prayer for Christ. If you were listening, oh, to see the dawn of the darkest day, Christ on the road to Calvary, and then the prayer, oh, to see the pain written on your face, bearing the awesome weight of sin, of our sin. Every bitter thought, every evil deed, crowning your blood-stained head. There are a whole lot of self-righteous Christians these days pointing the finger at everyone but themselves. When it's on our knees that we most need to be, where it's level ground at the cross of Calvary for all humanity, ourselves included. The posture of repentance is the fundamental discipline of the Christian walk. It's so important that we devote 40 days of the church calendar to it. It's the whole point of what we just finished, of the 40 days of Lent, of these six weeks of repentance that lead up to Easter. And on top of this, the Lenten season begins and ends by calling us to our needs. It began 40 days ago on the first day of Advent, on Ash Wednesday, which derives its name from the placing of repentance ashes on the forehead of the participants. And Lent ends, as you all know, on Good Friday, today, when we commemorate the crucifixion of Jesus and commiserate the sins that sent him there, which is Just the preparation for what many of God's people, the prescription for what many of God's people most need. And that is maybe a little more humility. We schedule our staff meetings on Wednesday each week, which means that once a year we have our staff meeting on Ash Wednesday. And six weeks ago, on Ash Wednesday, Jim Murphy launched the Lenten season with all the staff online, on Zoom, with a staff devotional from a classic on repentance. It's by Roy Hessen, and it's called The Calvary Road. It's how under it all, the Christian walk, is a Calvary road, a road that brings us to walk on our knees, at least it ought to. To begin the Lenten season, Jim just read from it, which is what I'd like to do today to close the Lenten season as a lead-in to communion together. It's one of those books that you can read out loud and then pronounce the benediction The Calvary Road has sold millions of copies. It's been translated into 40 languages the world over. It was written over 70 years ago in 1950, but its truths are so biblical and so timeless, so much so that it's a prophetic word to the church in America today. The back cover says, Do you long for revival and power in your life? Learn how Jesus can fill you with his spirit through brokenness, Repentance and confession, which is what Good Friday is all about. Here's how he begins in chapter 1. As you'll see, this is a perfect lead-in to communion, a perfect way to begin and end the Lenten season, and it's a prescription for what ails our nation. Just sit back and let it sink in. Everyone says we need revival in America. Here's what that means. Hessen says, we want to be very simple in this matter of revival. Revival is just the life of the Lord Jesus poured into human hearts. Jesus is always victorious. In heaven, they are praising him all the time for his victory. Whatever may be our experience of failure and barrenness, he is never defeated. His power is boundless. And we on our part have only to get into the right relationship with him. And if we do, we shall see his power being demonstrated in our hearts and lives and service. And victorious life will fill us and overflow through us to others. That is revival in its essence. That is what our nation needs. If, however, we are to come into this right relationship with Him, the first thing we must learn is that our wills must be broken. They must be broken to his will. To be broken is the beginning of revival. It is painful, humiliating, but it is the only way. It is not I, but Christ, Galatians 2.20. And then listen to this. The letter C, Christ, comes through a bent and broken I. There's no rush. Just let this sink in. The Lord Jesus cannot live in us fully and reveal himself through us until the proud self within us is broken. This simply means that the hard, unyielding self, which justifies itself, wants its own way, stands up for its rights and seeks its own glory, at last bows its head to God's will. And admits wrong, gives up its own way to Jesus, surrenders its rights, and discards its own glory. It is the only way that the Lord Jesus might have all and be all in us. In other words, it is dying to self and self-attitudes. And then he says, as we look honestly at our Christian lives, let's make this our communion meditation as we now examine ourselves. As we look honestly at our Christian lives, he says, we can see how much of this self there is in each of us. It is so often self who tries to live the Christian life. It is self, too, who is often doing the Christian work. It is always self who gets irritable and envious and resentful and critical and worried. Which are you? One of those, several of those, is me. It is self too who is often. Uh, it is self who is hard and unyielding in its attitude to others. It is self who is shy and so often and self-conscious and reserved. No wonder we need breaking. As long as self is in control, God can do little with us. For all the fruits of the spirit with which God longs to fill us for revival are the complete antithesis of the hard, unbroken self within us. They presuppose that we've been crucified. Just listen. This is a quiet service of repentance. Being broken is both God's work and ours. He brings his pressure to bear, but we have to make the choice. If we are really open to conviction as we seek fellowship with God, God will show us the expressions of this proud, hard self that cause him pain then it is that we can stiffen our necks and refuse to repent. Or we can bow the head and say, yes, Lord. When he convicts us, brokenness and daily experience is simply the response of humility to the conviction of God. And inasmuch as this conviction is continuous, we shall need to be broken continually. And this can be very costly. When we see all the yielding of rights and selfish interest that this will involve. And the confessions and restitutions that may be sometimes necessary. Again, listen. Brokenness can come by the discipline of concentration on things like these. He continues. For this reason, we are not likely to be broken except at the cross of Jesus the willingness of Jesus to be broken for us is the all-compelling motive in our being broken too we see him who is in the form of God counting not equality with God a prize to be grasped at and hung on to but letting it go for us and taking upon him the form of a servant God's servant man's servant We see him willing to have no rights of his own, no home of his own, no possessions of his own, willing to let men revile him and not revile again, willing to let men tread on him and not retaliate or defend himself. Above all, we see him broken as he meekly goes to Calvary to become men's scapegoat by bearing their sins in his own body on the tree so much so that in a pathetic passage in the prophetic psalm he says i am a worm and no man psalm 22 6. if you think this is lengthy you can blame jim not me (laughs) no really we're almost to the end i'm reading it all because if you're anything like me you need to let these things sink in those who have been in tropical lands Uh, He ends, I am a worm and no man. He continues that idea. Those who have been in tropical lands tell us that there is a big difference between a snake and a worm. (laughs) When you attempt to strike at them, there is a big difference. The snake rears itself up and hisses and tries to strike back a true picture of self. A lot of snakes out there these days and not just out there. But a worm allows you to do what you'd like with it, as Christ did, to kick it or squash it under your heel. It is a picture of true brokenness. Jesus was willing to become just that for us, a worm and no man, and he did so because this is what he saw us to be. Worms having forfeited our rights by our sin, all rights except to deserve hell. And he now calls us to take our rightful place as worms for him and with him. And then Hessian concludes with this, with maybe a final prophetic word for Christians in America from 70 years ago. Yes, we're to have influence in a democracy, We're to let our light shine, but equally under it all, through it all, we need some humility and some charity. He ends by saying the whole Sermon on the Mount with its teaching of non-retaliation, love for enemies and selfless giving assumes that is our position. But only the vision Only the division, the vision of love that was willing to be broken for us can constrain us to be willing to be that way. Only the vision to which you can only say, be thou my vision, O Lord of my life, O Lord of the cross. Oh, to see the dawn. Of the darkest day, Christ on the road to Calvary. Oh, to see the pain written on your face. Bearing the awesome weight of sin. My every bitter thought you bore, every evil deed, crowning your blood-stained brow. You want to change this nation? It doesn't end here but it starts by taking your place beneath the cross of Jesus and doing business with him. And so we'll conclude the Lenten season this year by making it possible for the letter C to come through all our bent and broken eyes. For just like he says, the willingness of Jesus to be broken for us is the all-compelling motive for our being broken too. And it all flows out of that. And we celebrate that on Resurrection Sunday. So let's prepare ourselves for that right now. Lord, I pray that you would stir us. We, we need your Holy Spirit to work these things in our hearts. Stir us to be the answer to what ails America. Strike us, that we may confess our sins with broken and contrite hearts. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit, having mingled with the scriptures and with the songs, would now mingle with the sacraments themselves to pierce our souls as we take them in and to break our hearts beneath the cross of Jesus. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As you all know, you can peel off the first tab for the bread. You can do that right now and then the second tab same way he took the cup also after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me stand before we sing. Father, we're standing for a reason because we are standing now to take our stand of all the stances we're taking these days to take our stand beneath the cross of Jesus. I pray, Father, that you continue to ready us for what you want to happen through us. On resurrection Sunday by what happens to us here on Good Friday Lord this year more than ever as we move from Good Friday to Easter Sunday may the sea of the Christ who is risen resound through the bent and broken eyes that we've cultivated tonight and may that stand us in good stead the rest of the year do that now is beneath the cross of Jesus, we fain would take our stand. In Jesus' name, amen.